Hey, y'all, glad to see you. Um, Don, did you need a 12? I think there's some extra ones back there. Okay, and 13's out there. Okay, great. Um, so, not to shock you too badly, turn to Daniel 4. If you can or want to. He's the last of the major prophets in the Old Testament. And by major, we just mean uh, he wrote more, uh, they wrote more than the minor prophets. Minor prophets aren't less important, they're just shorter books. And uh, in Daniel 4, we read something kind of interesting. And just before I left home, I looked up these words to make sure um, what I'm about to say was true. Yes. <clears throat> look at, uh, well, look at verse 8. This is the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, and he didn't know what the dream was, and he called all the, um, I was at ease in my house, uh, back up to verse 3, and prospering in my palace. <laughs> so, in other words, I just had to stay home. Everything was going well. I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay in the bed, the fan, uh, fantasy, fancies and the visions of my head alarm me. So I made a decree all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. So this is the one he did know, sorry. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar, which I tried to find out the meaning of his name and my little concordance that I was using just said, that was Daniel's name in Babylon. But he's named according to their false gods, or, uh, and I, I don't want to name them, but it'd be like Baal. Um, so anyway, uh, verse 8, And Daniel came in before me, he was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. So, Nebuchadnezzar recognizes that Daniel has a spirit of the good gods, uh, being Jehovah uh, and Trinity, and uh, the other spirit beings God created that did not rebel against him. And I told him the dream saying, and verse 9 is what I want you to notice, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians. Okay, did you see that? All right. So let's start with the easy one. Guess what the, the word chief, what do you think it means? Yeah, it means chief. It means the head. It means the best one, the greatest one in charge of them. What do you think magicians means? Again, this isn't hard. It's not as blunt, but it does mean magicians. It means the astrologers. Daniel could interpret the, the signs of the skies. Astrology is wrong, but God, the Bible says in Psalms, the heavens declare the glory of God. He put the galaxies and stars and things where he wanted them to tell his story. Now, I am not expert in this at all. I, I shouldn't avoid it like the plague, but I do avoid it. Um, it we, we could study what, if, if there's a Christian person who's looked at this and said, well, this is what they saw, this is what they thought. Because in Revelation 12, we're seeing this astrology applied. 
Do you know why the wise men or the magicians from the east or there knew that that was Jesus' star? Because they've been looking for it. They've been waiting for a certain thing to happen. Revelation 12 describes the astrology signs in just the right place for just the time when Jesus was born. Now, so we've always thought that it was an unusual bright star. It could have just been the constellations being in the right places. Um, and so that's what we're going to see in Revelation 12 or look at. So I don't want you looking at me weird. Daniel was the chief of these astrologers. He's one taught them, hey, God put that up there. This is how you look at that. Now, if you think those stars dictate to men their personalities and what's going to happen to them, now you're off into satanic weird stuff because, you know, the people inside the road with the signs with a hand on it, you know, have your fortune told. Then they got all 900 numbers in the 80s, you know, and I always wanted to call them and say, you know who this is? No, good. I didn't think so. Click. I mean, you know, they didn't know. I, in fact, one of them went out of business and said, I didn't see that coming. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, so no, nobody, unless God tells you the future, unless you're a prophet of that sort, and I don't believe God has given new future revelation to men. I'm not saying it, as far as a big revelation of what God's going to do. Um, God has given us abilities in our bodies and minds that we have dulled and have, do not use, and some cultures in the world still have to use them to survive, and so they are... They're very highly honed. Um, talked to a vet that did a lot of, uh, was in a lot of actual battles, and they will tell you about a sixth sense when you just know something bad's about to happen because they, they did. I read one story, guy standing there, uh, I think, I don't know if he's eating something, but he was looking around watching, he just ducked. Didn't know why, he just ducked. A bullet went over his head when he ducked. The, we, God gave us those abilities. We've kind of dulled them down because we don't, we don't walk in a jungle, <laughs> you and I, um, but there, unless there are some concrete jungles. So all I'm saying is that there is more there that God gave us that we don't use, um, but there is a proper and improper use of it. So when we look at Revelation 12, I just wanted to show you that, that Daniel is that, is that guy, and, it, and he says... And I told him the dream, and Belteshazzar, chief of, the, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you. So he, he recognized all the other magicians couldn't tell him. He knew something's different about Daniel, and it was. Um, and that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. And the visions in my head as I lay in bed were these. And he talks about seeing the tree and all, all that... Um, he, he saw, look at verse 13. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, uh, strip, uh, strip off its leaves and scatter it. I want you to notice the word watchers. Um, you'd have to read Genesis uh, 11, I believe, for that, 10 or 11, 10 maybe. Um, but the stump remained in, and, and he says all that. So Daniel, look at verse 19, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or its interpretation alarm you. And he answered and said, My lord, 
May the dream be those, for those who hate you. And so he goes and he tells him. Many times when Daniel was told a dream, and especially the one that the king didn't know what it was, what did Daniel do? He went and asked God. Hey God, what does that mean? What, what's going on? This one, God gave him some immediate understanding. But I just wanted to point out that the reason God tells us not to uh, consort with magicians, real magicians, not illusionists, or necromancers, or astrologers, is because they are real, not because they are false. God didn't say, I have no other gods before me because there were not other gods. He said that because there are, and you can choose, and they did. So they worshiped Baal, which would have been some form of fallen angel who did a lot of weird stuff. And what we see when we look at all these different cultures that worships these deities of sorts, they all look alike when you look at what they are, not what their names are. They all operate in the same way. This vision in Revelation 12 that John has, what he is seeing, uh, here's, uh, I'm getting this out of this book, the Old Testament in Revelation about Michael Heiser. And uh, this book, I, I told you a couple weeks ago that I meant to bring and I forgot. Um, he shows this, uh, this understanding of, of what this is. Um, so we're going to look in Revelation 12 at that. Um, let's answer a couple questions about this before we get into it. When you read Revelation 12, what were some questions you had? I had about 100, so uh, maybe you've had one or two at least. Did it? Uh huh. Okay, I'm sorry, I closed my Bible. Let me reopen it. Um, I should bring a larger print Bible in here, shouldn't I? And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the, accusers, uh, the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they've conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Um, there's, there were, I was, just what I was reading, there's some debate, is that, is that Jesus or is that an angel? Um, and mostly it sounds like it's an angel because he's talking uh, about what God did for us and about the Christ. Um, but then he declares a woe. But is he declaring a woe or is he just expressing, well, of course it's a woe if the devil's come down to you. So I asked that question so you'd look it up. What, did you find anything on that? Our brothers, well, that would be us. 
Right. But notice the word our, right? So is this a human saying that? Is it an angel? Is it Christ? I would say that the word our and brothers could apply to all three. Uh, but Jesus said we'd become his, his brothers, and in the sense that he's one in the Trinity, and the Trinity is one, we would be brothers to all, but specifically I think we're brothers to Christ. So I would think Jesus would have said my brothers instead of our. Um, a human could say that, our brothers, a believer, could be Elijah speaking prophetically again, right? Um, angels were made before us, and they were made to be image bearers of God. But they, then God made lesser beings, which are us, and we are their little brothers, in a sense. But then, I mean, what does it say in Psalm? What is man that you take notice of him? You made him a little lower than the angels. So we're not as powerful as the angels in one sense. But when the angels fell, what did God do to them? And be real careful because we'll get there in, this, in the Bible. Well, actually in Peter, when we get to it in Peter, he, in 1 Peter 3, he actually tells us what he did to those angels who rebelled. And it might not be what you commonly think because it's not what I commonly thought. And then I read it there and I went, you know what? The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say what I thought. The Bible says something a little different. And yeah, you can turn to 1 Peter 3 and you'll see. They're locked away until judgment. They're not, they're not, uh, I don't believe that demons are fallen angels anymore. I don't know what they are exactly, but I don't believe, unless he locked up some and didn't lock up others. But there are, maybe he locked up the leaders of the rebellion and he let the followers stay loose. I don't know. Um, but there's a lot more hints in the Bible, some other stuff that if I got into it, it'd be real weird and I don't understand it all. So I don't want to do that. Um, if I don't understand it, I don't want to make you wonder. But those angels were locked up and have no hope of salvation. Man sinned and the first thing God did was give a promise of how he's going to save us. The seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent or the serpent's head. Um, the devil's not locked up, is he? Why not? Why do we know that? Or why do we think we know that anyway? I'm going to say what I think I know because the more I read Revelation, the less I think I know. <laughs> So why do we think we know that the devil's not locked up? Yes, he's the accuser. Yeah, he has access to the throne room. Yeah, um, look at Psalm 82, verse 1. If you just really want to have your minds blown, let's do that while we're doing it. And by the way, um, this is not some crazed, uh, some of this stuff I'm saying, I read it from a man with a PhD in rabbinical Hebrew literature who was a professor at Liberty University, not some fringe university, and helped create the content for the Lagos Bible system for computers. Look at, look at Psalm 82. Somebody read the first verse. 
Okay. Is that word God's capital or lowercase? All right, it's lowercase, so he's not talking about the Trinity. The Trinity, we would say, has a council, but does the Trinity need to talk to each other to know what the other one's thinking? No, because they are one in essence and purpose in mind, right? They are so united that they don't have to even talk. They know. So he uses some words to help us understand how God decided things. But at the end, that word is not capitalized, right? The word is God's. And in the ESV, they got it right. They didn't give it a capital letter. But it calls those gods a divine council, right? So this is, this is something you're going to have to struggle with. Guess what that word gods is there? You've heard it before. It's a Hebrew word, but you've heard it, and you've heard it a thousand times. It is Elohim. It is gods. El is God. Ohim is S. Elohim. God had, a, had or has a divine council of beings he created that are little gods. They are it's a term because Adam was supposed to be a little God. He was also going to be a creation of God that was an image bearer. The angels fell and men fell, right? And we lost something uh, when it came to being an image bearer of God. How did we get it back? We never lost dominion, but we lost authority. Man still dominates the earth, even lost man, because he created us to do that. But we lost authority. What did, what did the disciples say when Jesus calmed the wind and the waves? Okay, they've been hanging out with him for a while, and they went, who is this? Yeah, what, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him. That's authority. That's not power, that's authority. Or author- that's authoritative power, let's put it that way. So when did we get authority back? This is a very common Bible verse. We say it all the time, but we don't think of it in these terms. Yes, but when, when was it made available? I'll put it that way. And what do we have to do to exercise it? <laughs> that might be a better question, actually, because right now we're kind of talking theoretically, but the answer to the question follows with what we're supposed to be doing with that authority. It's Matthew 28, 18. Jesus said, all authority. So wait a minute, let's stop for a second. What's the Greek word for all? What does the Greek word for all mean? All. All means all, that's all all means. So how much authority does Jesus have now? All right, why did, he, why did he have all authority before he came as a baby in, in the manger? Yeah, I would think so. But how did Jesus heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, feed the hungry, die on a cross, be buried and rise again? and calm the wind and the waves. How did he do those things? 
Yeah, he did it as a man filled with the Holy Spirit, according to John 3. The Spirit was given to him without measure. If he had done any of that as God, he would not have been qualified to die for men because he would have picked up his deity again. So he won it back. I, I just had this long discussion uh, with my kids last night and, and my wife of the explanation goes back to what, did, what was Adam's sin? It was three things. The lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lust of the flesh. And, and well, let me, let me just read it so I can, and I'll quote the other part, but let me read this part. It would be in Genesis 3 is when man lost it. Now, the serpent was more crafty, and the word serpent means, is, is understood as dragon in the Old Testament. And the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that, that Yahweh El made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, did El actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. I know God never said that, that we know of. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now verse 6. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, lust of the eyes, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh is good to eat, and the pride of life. You'll be like God's, knowing good and evil. Jesus in the wilderness, 40 days, he has not eaten anything. I don't think he drank anything. I'm not sure. I don't want to add to Scripture, but I believe he hadn't drank. But anyway, Satan appears to him and says, hungry big boy. Well, the Bible actually says in one spot, and he hungered which means that his body is now eating its muscle, it's run out of fat to eat. You, you lose your appetite when you, when you start fasting after about three days, and then if you go 10 or 20 days, at least my, my uh, experience, you, you just, why did I ever eat? You feel like, well, I never have to eat again, because that's how you feel, you're fine. But if you get hungry again, which I didn't, that means your body's run out of stores and is starting to eat the muscle. The Bible says Jesus got hungry. I don't think he was, had a, lot, a whole lot of fat to start with, personally. Might have had more than I thought. So, so Satan shows up and says, hey, ain't you the son of God? Why don't you just talk to them stones there and turn them into bread? You can do that. You're creator, right? Lust of the flesh. Man, I'm starving. And he knew he was starving. But he didn't do it. Passed the test. He said, man should not live by bread alone, right? But by every word proceeds out of the mouth of God. Carries him up the pinnacle of the temp temple. Lust of the eyes. Look at all... Uh, no, I'm sorry. That'd be the third one. He takes him up on a high mountain and says, look at all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give them to you if you bow down and worship me. Lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh. I mean, that was the lust of the eyes. The food was lust of the flesh. Shows him that lust of the eyes. See all that? It's yours if you'll just worship me. Scripture says you'll worship God and him alone. 
then takes him on the temp temple, pride of life. Hey, jump off, because it says you, you're the one, you know, y'all wrote it in there. The angels will catch you, and so you don't dash your foot against stone. Now, that's not when you act foolish. The day of my death was written down by God before time began, right? Psalm 139. Um, we already know that. But that doesn't mean if I go sit in the middle of the interstate, I ain't going to get killed, right? Now, you could say, well, that must have been the date God wrote down. Yeah, but I'm still stupid, okay? It doesn't help. So that meant that God would, you know, divinely protect him. But it did not mean that he could do foolish things. And the wisest man in the world said, when Satan said that, Jesus looked at him and said, no thanks, I'll take the stairs. He said, you won't tempt the Lord your God, right? You won't act foolishly by saying, well, God will take care of me. I'm just going to, you know, do all this crazy stuff. Same three temptations. Jesus passed it. He did not fall like Adam did. He, he did it as a spirit-filled man. And he passed the test. Now, of course, he never sinned after that either, but he had to pass those big three tests to continue. We call that um, the passive obedience of Christ, that he just did not sin. But it's actually more active than the active obedience of healing people and doing all that. So Jesus became the perfect man, and all that's in Romans 5, okay? It sounds like I might be, it might sound like I'm talking about weird stuff, but read Romans 5. By one man sin entered the world, and death by sin passed upon all men. By one man righteousness came to men, and but through that man righteousness passed on to all men. So what I was, the old man, is what I was born under Adam, born a sinner. The new man is what I am born into the family of God, born again in Christ, right? So he, he finished all of that. He obeyed the will of the Father, went to the cross, died on the cross, was buried, rose again. He, 1 Peter will get to it, he goes and says to those angels in hell, I told you I was going to whoop you. This has been a cosmic fight since the beginning of time. And I, I, want, to, I want to get into a whole lot more, but I won't to sidetrack it. And then led captivity captive, took paradise into heaven. And before he left, he said, by the way, all authority has now been restored to me. Then what did he say right after that? What is the word he used? He said, go, what's the next word? If you're quoting King James, which I'm sure I am in my head. Go, there's another word for you, said make disciples. I'm, I'm looking for the word therefore. Yeah, therefore, okay, it's before go. Thank you. Therefore, therefore what? All authority has been given to me. You as understood, go, there, therefore, you go. So what does that imply? that he gave us that authority to go. Because this is what, I haven't heard this in a long time, but uh, this is a complaint of those who don't think we ought to be missionaries, and I don't mean other Christians. Well, how dare you go to someone else's culture and tell them that they're wrong and they shouldn't be doing you know, child sacrifices and praying to sticks and doing all these crazy things. Because all authority was given to Jesus, and he told us to go make disciples of all the nations, right? 
All right, I'm going to get just, I'll tell you just a little bit then, just to make it, make it a little bit more sense. If you look at the Tower of Babel, God again in council says, look what they're doing, but then God is the one who acts, and he confuses their languages, and he assigns them boundaries. And it looks like he's put watchers over those boundaries, those peoples. He has angelic beings watching. How do you get that? Back to the book of Daniel. Daniel said, I was on the, seat, on the side of the river. He had prayed. 21 days has passed. And then Gabriel comes. He says, man, I'd have gotten here. God answered that prayer 21 days ago. But the prince of Persia was fighting me. I had to call Michael to come help me. And now, here's the message. And I got to go back because the prince of Greece is coming to fight with the prince of Persia against Michael, and i got to go help him now. God just scattered men and said, I'm going to pick a guy, and I'm going to make, and I know he knew this before the foundation of the world, and now that one guy, I'm going to make a nation of people, and from that nation, I'll put on flesh and be born into that nation to save the world and to bring it back. So we look at Psalm 2, the nation's rage, people met. Let me just read it right, because that's not how it starts. Psalm 2, here is, here is our other command, and this is what we're actually doing. Job, I'm in Job, let me get the psalm. It's in the first couple of verses. The whole psalm talks about it. But why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Those kings of the earth may not be men. It might be the angelic ones over territories. So both territories and men have, were lost on earth and God wants to get them back. Against the Lord and against his anointed saying... Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laugh, and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I own that. I own Jerusalem. I own Israel. And I set my king there. I will tell of the decree Yahweh said to me, you are my son, today I've begotten you, or made you the special one. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage. Not just Jerusalem, not just Mount Zion, but all the nations and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in me. So Jesus has been set on the holy hill, but notice that Jesus asked the Father for the nations of the world, and how is he getting those nations? We go to them and give them the gospel, Ownership transfers back to God. I no longer belong to the devil. I now belong to God because I have become a follower of Christ. Right? 
And this has been a war since Babel. And guess what happens we celebrate next week when he won that battle. And then Revelation is how he's going to wind it all up. Okay? So Revelation 12 is a picture of this cosmic battle from the beginning to the end. I've said all that to just say, and he painted the picture in the heavens. So who is the woman in Revelation 12? I've already told you the answer, but I didn't use those terms. What is the woman going to do? Let me ask that. Out of Revelation 12, what is the woman going to do? Yeah, basically have a baby. Yeah, there's more, more stuff, but the main thing is she's going to have a child. Who is the child? Jesus. So who is the woman? It's not Mary. I'll say that. It's Israel. Yes. Now, here's a better question. Who is Israel? Yeah, but physically, who is Israel now? Spiritually, maybe I should say. Notice I wrote Revelation 12 in red because it talks about the dragon. Sorry. Dragon is called red in the Bible too. So red sometimes is associated with, with uh, satanic stuff. That's why we think of him as being a red being. But I do that every time I use them. I pick the wrong one. Who is Israel? Yes, the church. How is a Jewish person saved today? Yes. How were the people in the Old Testament saved? Same way we are. By trusting God to take away their sin. God just hadn't come and paid for it yet. They were not, did any of them get saved because they offered sacrifices? No, it didn't work. Hebrews tells you it didn't work. Why did they do it? They were showing a physical sign of, I trust you, I believe in you. I'm looking forward to the sacrifice you're going to make in the future. They may not have fully understood that. They just knew that this is what God told us to do, so we're going to do it because we believe God, right? So a lot of stuff we do, we may not consciously go, hey, why does God have me doing this? And there's nothing wrong with doing that because there's an answer why God has you doing that. But according to Romans 2, according to, I can't think of the text, we are Israel, and if you are a Jew, that does not mean you get saved just because you were born Jewish. You've got to come through Christ. All, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, Acts 4.12. So we have to come through Christ. So in Romans 2, Paul says he was of all nations. Well, sorry, in, in Romans 2 he says they are not Jews who are those outwardly whose circumcision of the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly circumcision of the heart. So it shows our tenderness toward God. And so we redefine the word Israel as not being a race of people, but as being the chosen people of God. All right, you understand that? So here's where today you and I get confused. What is Israel today? It's three things. Name one. It's a nation, right? It's a nation. We got borders. We see them. All right, what else is it? It's a people group. You physically are born a Jew, so you are part of Israel. What else is it? 
We're going to go to the well one more time. Pete? It's a religion. So just the word Israel, it's a people, it's a nation, and it's a religion. We confuse those three things. The nation of Israel today is not super blessed by God in that they are pleasing God and doing that. They are, they're, they are doing some stuff that we would not be proud of, okay? So we'll just leave it there. I think we ought to, they're our friends, they're our allies. God has a purpose for them. I don't think we fully understand what that is. I don't think even people that think they understand or really understand what that is. God has something he's going to do. The Bible says so. Zechariah says so. But we're not sure how that works because it's just, it's one of those things that like we won't understand that till we get there. So we got to operate what we do know. And what we do know is that every person who comes to faith in Christ is a part of spiritual Israel. And we use that term to mean the people of God. And we know a Jewish person can't just go and build an altar. Of course he can't because the Dome of the Rock is where the temple should be. And so imagine what it's going to take to get that temple back in there. You've got to tear down the third most holy site of, of Islam, the Dome of the Rock. You know, it's Mecca, Medadine, I guess, and then that, that spot. And they're going to have to move that to get the temple. So no, you can go up there and offer sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. So what are they going to do? Because their lamb... The Lamb of God has already been sacrificed, and there's no more need for sacrifice, right? According to the book of Hebrews, right? So the book of the Jews, Hebrews, what's the word Hebrew mean, y'all know? Because they called, they called Abraham a Hebrew. They said, oh, that Hebrew. It means a wanderer. Somebody's wandering around. All right, so, so spiritual Israel. So Israel, but physical Israel, spiritual, I mean, the religious Israel gave birth to Jesus, right? Absolutely. So, in Revelation 12, the woman before and after the birth of Christ is still Israel, but now it includes the church after Christ. Because a Gentile, let me ask you this, could a Gentile be a part of the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, before Jesus? You'll have to think very hard on that one, because the answer is, yeah, of course. But what you have to do? You had to do what they do, right? You had to follow their laws and all of that. I think of Rahab. I think of Tamar. I think of, well, I don't know, Tamar might have been Jew. But I think of Rahab. I think of Bathsheba. I think of um, Ruth, the Moabitess, the enemy of Israel. And her grandson was King David. So, you know, sure, you could become a Jewish person, but you had to follow their religion. What was the purpose of their religion to bring us to Christ, right? But in Christ now, and so what I would say is the Jews of the New Testament, man, we hadn't even got to Revelation 12. The Jews of the New Testament didn't get that because what was the first big argument in the church besides little ladies not getting their food served like they should? And, and I'm sure it was true. They probably were getting overlooked. First big argument was, do you have to be a Jew before you can be a Christian? So they had a big old council in, is it Acts 13 or Acts 15? I don't have to turn there. I think it's Acts 15, but I could be wrong. Especially if I'm looking in 1 Corinthians. That's not going to tell me. Um, sorry. 
Yeah, Acts 13 is Paul and Barnabas become missionaries. So Acts 15, thought so. Jerusalem Council. What is the council? Paul and Barnabas go out there. They're, by the way, who led the first Gentile to Christ? No. Paul was a missionary to the Gentiles, but... No. Nope. She, Ethiop, the, just because you were Ethiopian didn't mean you weren't Jewish. He came to worship in Jerusalem. Why? Because Solomon used to trade down there in Africa, and some Jews ran to Africa that, when stuff was happening in Egypt, went further south. In the 70s, maybe 1970s or early 80s, um, when Ethiopia was starving, there was a group that said, hey, we're Jews, we'd like to come home. And they sent planes down, and this whole group of Ethiopians, who are Jews, they are now every race in the world, went and now they live in Israel because they were Jewish. Maybe, I don't know, you know, the Queen of Sheba came up to see Solomon. Something might have happened, and they got a bunch of Jews down there now, okay? So, the, the big debate was, and the first one to lead a uh, Gentile Christ was Peter. Peter was present at every time, the first time the Holy Spirit fell. Why? Because when he said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said, man, Peter, you're blessed. Man didn't tell you that. The Holy Spirit had to tell you that. And I'm telling you, you are the rock, and on this rock, I will build my church, and I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And what you unlock on earth will be unlocked in heaven. What you lock on the earth will be locked in heaven. All right? So, Pentecost, who preached? Peter. Holy Spirit fell. Well, the Holy Spirit already fell on them. The Holy Spirit fell on the crowd. 3,000 people are saved. In Acts chapter 8, half Jews, half Gentiles, the Samaritans, they, uh, who, who talked to them? Peter, Holy Spirit fell. And that's where the magician said, Hey, sell me this ability to give the Holy Spirit to people. And Peter, I'll, I'll say it the way the Bible says it. This isn't how it would actually translate into English. May your money perish with you. How does a person perish? They go to H-E double toothpicks. So Peter said, you and your money can go too, is what he said. That you think that the gift of God could be bought with money. He got ticked about that. And then in Acts 10, Cornelius has a dream and says, send for a man named Peter. Well, Peter is on a rooftop taking a nap in the middle of the day, and a sheet comes down with unclean animals on it, and here's a voice, rise and eat, which is the hunter's verse, right? Rise, kill, and eat, sorry. Rise, kill, and eat. And he said, Lord, I am a faithful Jew. I've never touched an unclean thing in my life. Now, he's so, so ADD, he probably was eating bacon while he was saying that. You know, he's just crazy. But anyway, that's a joke. So three times that happened. And God said three times, what I've called clean, don't you dare call unclean. He wakes up and goes, wow, that was quite a, hey, anybody in there named Peter? Yeah, that's me. Why? What do you want? Our master, Cornelius, he had a dream. Angel appeared to him and said, come to this house and ask for a guy named Peter. Yeah, that's me. And so in Acts 15, he gives testimony about that. And God told me, don't call them unclean. If I'm calling them clean, Peter goes, explains the way of salvation. They receive Christ. The Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and his household. That's the only times we see the Holy Spirit given as a special thing after God has spoken. Because those Samaritans thought they were following the right way because they had heard about John, the 
Cornelius was a devout man, but he didn't know Christ. And of course, Pentecost, nobody knew. So now Gentiles are being saved. Yes, Philip is pre Paul and Barnabas have gone, and they're seeing this great success. And you got a bunch of Pharisees who'd become Christians. And what, oh, I, I can't do that. Oh, gosh, thank you, Lord. Got me. All right, we still have Pharisees today. They make a whole bunch of man-made rules and tell you you got to keep them to be right with God. Okay? That's what Pharisees do. So your Pharisees were your Jewish rule keepers. They wrote a book bigger than the Bible to tell you how to keep the Ten Commandments. I mean, that's how bad they were, right? And so you got a bunch of Pharisees who came saved, and what are they doing? Oh, you got to do this, got to do this, got to do this, got to do this. And you, of course, you got to be Jewish. You can't eat pork. You can't, you, you can't walk more than a tenth of a mile on a, on a Saturday. And, and you, you, know, you can't work, and you can't. And all these Gentiles are getting saved going, what are you talking about? You know, it makes no sense because they've never done all that. So it became a debate. Do they have to be Jews before they can be saved? Because Jesus was Jewish. He's the Jewish Messiah. Don't you have to be a Jew to become a Christian? And so they had this big council in Jerusalem, Acts 15. And so um, the, uh, the apostles talk. Paul and Barnabas talk about their missionary events. And, um, and Peter, Peter being one of the apostles, he said, look, guys, this is what happened. And so all the pastors, the elders of the church met, and they listened to all that. And James, the half-brother of the Lord, who's, who's the pastor at Jerusalem by that time, says, okay, guys, I've heard everything. This is what I think. We shouldn't make them become Jews, but we ought to say, look, Jewish people got some things that we don't want to offend them about. So don't eat stuff that's still bleeding. Don't eat a rare steak, okay? Don't eat meat with blood. You know, abstain from immorality. You know, it gives four little things. And they went, sounds good. And so the pastor at Jerusalem makes the decision. The apostles, the missionaries, everybody agree. The church agrees. And they write letters and they send it back out with Paul and Barnabas taking all the churches and they rejoice Oh, good, we don't have to build some synagogue and follow the Jewish law. We are free to just follow Christ. All right, that's all there in Acts. And you, you can read it. So Paul, what is the first book in the New Testament that was written by chronologically? What book in the New Testament was written first? This will tell you something about that debate, by the way. Galatians. Paul wrote the whole book of Galatians to say, <laughs> oh man, he, he uses some strong language in that book. He is ticked that these guys are trying to make people follow a bunch of you know archaic laws. They're not archaic; they're God's laws. But and by the way, other than the ten, every other law God gave them was just to keep them clean and healthy and safe. None of it had. I mean, when you say, "Oh, you're," I don't know about you as a kid, and even up to now, I, I hear those words. You're unclean. What do you think? Oh, they are just, they're, you know, spiritually dirty. No, they didn't know not to, you know, hey, you touched a dead body, you were unclean for seven days. You go hang out over there and don't touch anybody else. Go wash yourself and go hang out. Get, you, get somebody to wash those clothes. Put on some clean clothes. Wash yourself. Put on clean clothes. Go sit over there for seven days. Why? Make sure he didn't get some germ off a dead body on him and get some disease that he's going to pass around, right? All the laws, when you understand them in that, don't eat this, that, why could you not eat a pig or a shrimp or a crab? Y'all might not know because you didn't grow up on the coast. 
You know what happens? Two seconds. You did. I'm sorry. Yeah. What happens to a crab, a Chesapeake blue crab, two seconds after it dies out of the water on land? It grows bacteria that'll kill you. So you cannot cook a dead crab. It has to be alive when you start cooking it, or else you're going to die. Because <laughs> the cooking it will kill all those germs. But if you let them start growing, there's going to be so many ain't going to work. You don't want to eat it. Vultures are scavengers. Everything else eats dead stuff that you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to eat catfish, sharks, because they don't have scales. Got fins, don't have scales. Shrimp, all these things, crabs, they clean up dead things. They got a lot of bacteria in them. Alligators, you know, you're not supposed to eat those either. Crocodilians. So all those laws were designed to keep them healthy and safe. And that's why he says, if you keep these laws, you'll have none of the diseases of the Egyptians from whom you're coming. Because, you know, wash your hands before you eat. Go to the bathroom outside of the camp. Those are laws, okay? So it was to keep them clean and safe. So by, by the New Testament time, they had turned it into a religious thing where you got to, and it was so strict. And, and so when the Pharisee comes in the temple, you know, oh, God, I thank you. I'm not like that sinner over there in the corner, and, right? That was the example he gave. I tithe. I do. I, I wash my hands. I tithe, and I'm, I'm just so good. And the guy in the corner says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He said, that guy went out justified. This guy's just praying to himself. That's what Jesus said, Right? All right, so I, I ran a bunch of rabbit trails. So uh, we didn't do much out of Re Revelation 12 except set a big context. So uh, who is the dragon in Revelation 12? Who is the rest of her children? Yeah, us, okay? We, that's us. Um, who fought in heaven with the dragon? Yeah, Michael and the angels are fighting... Think that was when the angels rebelled against God? Yeah, I mean, the dragon is Satan, and he rebels against God, and Michael and the good angels are fighting the Satan and the bad angels. There are orders of angels. There, there's more than one kind of angel in the Bible. We know of two big groups, cherubim and seraphim. Um, but I, is it the cherubim that... It never says they have wings. The seraphim do, the ones that fly around in heaven and all that. But the cherubim are warrior angels. It never says they have wings. They just look like us if you see them. And I think they can, like, alter how, how they look. All right, so, um, so, yeah, Michael and them fight. So who are the stars that are swept out of the heavens by the dragon's tail? And I'll tell you, I'm not real clear on that one. That's what I think. I think that's where we get that from. That is from where we get that. Um, but I, I'm not clear on that, so I'll just admit that. Y'all do some research on that. And notice the time frame. It's three and a half years. I tell you, and, and, and the book of Daniel, and in fact, this refers back directly to Daniel. The next chapter refers, the, the, the next chapter, I should say, refers directly to Daniel, and he gives this number, and then he gives another number that's a little bit longer. And I never understood why he gave both numbers. But um, he, he's not here tonight, and now his name won't come to me, but he's usually sitting right there, and he can hear you guys when y'all are talking, so he talks sometimes when y'all are trying to talk. Uh, Ralph. Ralph, yeah. 
He said something the other night, and it caught, I heard it, and I couldn't, I couldn't answer him, so I pretended like I didn't hear him. Um, but, um, but he was saying, well, if it's only three and a half years, when do we have the marriage supper and all that? Well, he says it in Daniel, 1,200 and so many days, and then 1,300 and so many days. So there's time between the second coming and the next thing that happens where, okay, we're going to have the supper, we're going to get all, everything straightened out, and then we move forward. Because <clears throat> like I told you, Revelation is written like, this is what happened, this is how it happened. This is what happened. So when we read what happened, we think it all happens instantaneously, but it still does take the process of time for it to all unfold. All right, so here's the big question, the meaning of the sun, moon, and stars with the woman. This woman that's seen in the heavens, what kind of woman is she? Notice verse 1. She's clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. Did you catch that? She was pregnant, was crying out in birth pains, in the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in the heavens. Behold, a great red dragon, seven heads, ten horns, his tail seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore a child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, who is Jesus, one who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Now, again, we read that as happening immediately. Jesus ascended back to heaven after his life. Satan was trying to kill him, right? And the woman fled in the wilderness, and she had a place prepared by God in which she's to be Nourished for 1260 days, which is probably at Petra, is what most said. So, I brought this book and the time is up, but let me, let me just give you um, a, a couple of astrological things. There's a guy that, that figured this and he wrote a bunch of stuff, and most of the rest of the stuff he wrote, because you got to always look at everything somebody says, um, he can't be correct about. But about this, you can't prove he's wrong, okay? Um, so, so that's, uh, and it's about the chronology of Jesus' birth and the astrological events that are described here and also uh, uh, Daniel talks about it a little bit as well. So the, this um, woman and what was Mary and if Israel is worshiping God, I, I'm, I'm trying to get you to tell me, so let me just say it. If Israel is faithful to God, and God uses language that when we're unfaithful to God, we're what? We're adulterers, right? So this woman being faithful to God is a virgin, but she's pregnant. So the sign keeps, stays. Is there a constellation in heaven of a virgin? Called Virgo, right. By the way, they had different names for some of these signs, uh, astrology symbols, back in the day. So the, the Apostle John sees, uh, saw the scene where the sun was clo uh, clothing or adorning the woman. This surely indicates that the position of the sun in the vision was located somewhere mid-body to the woman between the neck and knees. The sun could hardly be said to clothe her if it's situated in her face or near her feet. 
The only time of the year the sun could be in a position to clothe the celestial woman called Virgo, that is, to be mid-body to her, in the region where a pregnant woman carries a child, is when the sun is located between about 150 and 170 degrees along the ecliptic. This clothing of the woman by the sun occurs 20 days each year. So now we know within this 20 days is probably when Jesus was born. This 20 degree spread can indicate the general time Jesus was born, not a detailed time. Um, uh, Satan being a dragon is also uh, back then. The crown, there is a constellation of 12 stars. I forgot what they call them. Um, but there's a constellation of that. And for the sun to be in the middle, the moon at her feet, and that constellation on her head was September 11th, 3 B.C. According to the calculations they made. It doesn't always happen in all of those things happening at once. So that's, it's kind of interesting. They say September 11th. I, I don't know. This book didn't say that. I heard that. Uh, somewhere else, but is according to what these guys uh, figured out. So, what I'm telling you is that the Bible is not afraid to talk about that there are signs in the heavens. It says that, but they don't dictate what's happening. They let us know what's happening. Did not the peoples back then, did not the American Indians look and go, oh, well, that's happening here and there, so that means this time of the year is coming. I mean, they, they studied it, because what else are they going to do? And you can see more of it. And so they figured out that that season is on its way. And when it came to what modern-day Iraq, Babylon, it was full of magicians, and Daniel was the chief one among them, and the word magicians means astrology. So we shouldn't, you know, not horoscopes, not all that junk. But God did put the heavens declare the glory of God. So we have a symbolic way of describing what happens where Christ is born, Satan is fighting, trying to kill him, and we see this warfare in heaven. He is the, uh, the accuser of our brother has been thrown down. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, right? And notice verse 11, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives unto death. In chapter 13, we're going to see that the believers are overcome by the beast. It's going to say they are overcome, they are killed. How can it say they conquered and they are killed one chapter apart? You only lose if you quit. And here he says they conquered by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They were willing to love not their lives to the death. They were willing to die for Christ. So they win. You could not get them to deny Christ like Satan did. And that's what he's trying to get them to do. It's what he's trying to get us to do. And they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens... Even the stars, doesn't the Bible say the morning stars sang together? That could have been angels, but why do we have big antennas pointed into space? What are we receiving? We're receiving radio signals from space. Stars are vibrating at certain frequencies. We're listening uh, to what's going on out there. 
Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you dwell on earth. Uh, uh, in the, you know what I forgot to say this morning in the sermon? Because it doesn't say it in that passage. In, in another passage it said, where they said, tell them to be quiet. And Jesus said, if they're quiet, the rocks will cry out. And this one preacher I read said, you can either have children crying out praises or the walls crying out praises. I thought it was a pretty good statement, don't you? Sorry. Sidelight, but it encouraged me, so I thought I'd go ahead and tell you anyway. Woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. So what does verse 12 there describe? That he has come down and we are about to suffer great wrath from him. The great tribulation, the second half of the great tribulation or, the, or the, what is that, that great tribulation where he is active. And I saw a dragon been thrown down to earth. He pursued the woman. God protects her. Um, symbolic language of the wings of an eagle. Um, and she gets away from him. So he doesn't kill physical Israel. They're nourished for three and a half years. And he pours out water, but the earth swallows the water so that uh, they're not uh, uh, carried away with that. And the dragon becomes fierce with the woman, verse 17 and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who kept the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So guess what? There it is. The believers in Jesus are now the people of God, the saints, the Israel of God. And notice those words. There was a lady who wrote a book and you can look it up on Amazon. I think you can still get it. Get the unabridged copy if you want to read all the weird stuff in it. And it's called War on the Saints. And it's all about how Satan attacks people. Um, demonic oppression, possession, and all that stuff. Um, but Revelation 12 is symbolic language of this war that started in the garden and will continue to the end. And he's going to tell us now, after he shows us this, overview using constellations, using the terminologies of the dragon and the woman and the child, how this war is going to happen now to the end of the book of Revelation. Um, what I've been telling you guys about when things happen and the bowls and all of that, as I've been looking forward in Revelation, it's never been more like apparent to me up to chapter 10, 11 is kind of a setup and then all of a sudden, man, it really takes off. There's a whole lot in this, these last uh, 10 chapters or so of, of activity, of things, that are, that, uh, of, of things that are going on. So um, next, uh, we won't meet next week, so two weeks. The questions I typed out this time, I didn't separate them out in categories because there's a whole lot in chapter 13. It's about a couple of beasts. That's one of the answers to the question, how many beasts are there? There's two, but how does it correlate to Daniel? There's a different number of them in Daniel. So uh, you can look all that up, and uh, hopefully you'll do some research on that and uh, kind of try to figure it out. Just find some books and read them. Uh, and I got like three or four books, and I try to look at all of them each week, but uh, some weeks are shorter than others. So um, let me let you go. Father God, uh, we thank you in Jesus' name for all that you've done. Lord, uh, we don't understand everything, uh, everything you've done, everything you're going to do. Uh, that's kind of an obvious statement. But we know that we trust you, we believe in you, we believe you, we believe what you said is true, even if we don't understand it. 
And so our, our faith and trust is in you, just like Abraham believed you and it was counted to him for righteousness. So we believe you. And the sign is that, uh, Lord, whatever, that, that we, we go into the baptismal waters to say we've been born anew and we declare war when we are baptized. When today we took communion, we were declaring war on our enemy. Lord, just as you uh, declared war on him, and we know that you will win in the end. We may uh, yet lose our lives uh, in, in, a, in a dramatic fashion, or we may live to old age and die in peace. But God, either way, we want to follow you every day we have. And we are content to know that uh, we will be with you when we leave. Lord, we look forward to when all this faith turns into sight. We understand more clearly everything you're doing and what you have said you're going to do. Uh, until then, may we trust for that which we don't understand. And Lord, open our minds that we can understand the things that uh, you've revealed to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes. And I forgot the actual question, and I did not. About the two guys, yeah. Yeah, and it, again, you know, Moses and Elijah, which is what we like to think of because it's the law and the prophets. We see them on the Mount of Transfiguration. Both of them, in a sense, died but didn't die. Moses did die. The, angel, the Bible says the angels buried him, but Satan doesn't know where he's buried and was fighting with Michael about where they buried him. And Michael said, I ain't telling you. Lord rebuke you. He wouldn't even fight with the devil about it. Um, Elijah gets caught up in a whirlwind, not a chariot of fire. Chariot of fire was following it or the whirlwind was falling the chariot. So these guys who had these unusual deaths, is it them? Uh, those olive trees are blessed, and it stands for the law, the word of God and the prophets that tell us about Christ coming and God's plans for the world. So I don't know. I, I still don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, you, and you've made, a, um, made me think of something, and I wouldn't even know how to say it because I can't rectify it in my mind, but what I was just saying, that out of Israel, physical Israel, and spiritual Israel, he made one new people, the church. And so these are the two that stand there, those who believed before Christ came, those who believed after Christ came, and now they are the two witnesses. We've got the Old Testament and the New Testament, Old Covenant, you know. This is how God got us here, and this is what he did to bring us to the end. I, I don't know, but that's just, the, the theory pops in my head, and it just popped in my head when you said that, so I, don't, I have no clue. Um, but that'd be something worth looking up. You, you know, you guys search. Thank you for searching, because honestly, I forgot, um, and, uh, but I won't I write it again, so I'll remember next time. Anybody else?
Y'all can go if you want to, but we can ask questions. Yeah. That's us. If they believe, yeah. I again, uh, Paul says, uh, "Has God thrown away Israel?" No, he says they still have a purpose, but it's not real clear what God's going to do because I don't think He's going to give them a pass. So it's just it's. Uh, the, that's something I got to just believe by faith, but I, 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 I come down on that, you know, I'm, I'm not dispensational in that thinking. I'm very, I'm more on the other side where, where if a Jew is saved, he's got to come through Christ, and that's very clear in the scripture. And we're not joining them, they're joining us. <laughs> um, it, I would say that a Christian will understand his salvation more by understanding the Old Testament better. That's obvious. I mean, he didn't, he didn't give us two-thirds of this book, or these 66 books, just for grins and giggles. It, I mean, it says it was written for our learning, for, to teach us. So, um, but physical Israel is not specially blessed so that they don't have to be saved. That's, what I'm, that's the basic of what I'm saying. And... Um, I think how we've been taught by and large in evangelical Christianity in America, they're somehow special blessed in that way, and not really. Does God bless you if you bless his people? Yeah. Does that include Israel? In some way, yes. You know, I, I don't want to be mean to anybody. I mean, you know, I want everybody to be saved. So, um, but, uh, so I think God blesses us because we've protected Israel since 48. So, um, you know, but uh, at the same time, they deny other people freedom within their, their uh, because not every, let me let you know a secret, not, everybody's a radical, not every Muslim's a radical Muslim, not every Christian's a radical Christian, not every Jew's a radical Jew, but all three of us got that group that we could like to say, hey, why don't y'all just go over there and just kind of, why don't y'all you radical people get together and just kill each other instead of us, you know, leave us alone. Uh, you know, because you, you can have a great conversation in Israel with an with a Arab person. They love to talk to you about Jesus, but, uh, but not, a, not an Orthodox Jew. Now, you can talk to some Jews, but not the Orthodox ones. They, you know, and there's some radical Christians. They don't want to hear about grace. They want to keep rules. <laughs> so, you know, it's the same thing. Um, we, we, we all got those crazy uncles. But yeah, no, the church, Israel is incorporated in the church. Church isn't incorporated in Israel anymore. I mean, but the Bible says we were grafted in, so you better not think you're a big shot. You know, I put you in here. I can take you back out. You know, basically what God says in, in Revelation, in Romans and in other places. How shall we escape if we neglect this great salvation? If he, if he didn't mind pulling, jerking them out and putting you in, what do you think is going to happen to you if you neglect this, if you don't follow this? So.